Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, 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 welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit. Where I, your host, D. Carry, have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. I am happy to have you here, whether you are new or existing. Um, it's a good time over here. I have a great time, so I'm hoping that you too will enjoy your time with me. And it is not just a me today. I love to remind you guys that not only am I adorable, I tend to have absolutely gorgeous guests. So you absolutely should feel free to tiptoe to the YouTubes and then you can see how much talking with my hands that I actually do when you're listening. And I don't know if you can maybe hear it in my intonation that maybe I'm using my hands, but if you can't, watch on YouTube. And if you're on the YouTubes, you can see the beautiful face that is joining me today. To my amazing guest, please introduce yourself. Hey, y'all. My name is Adelia Borashade. Although most people on the internet know me as Picky Girl Travels the World, uh, I am a traveler, but I am also very much in the business of helping Black women get free. Uh, free from society's expectations and rules about how they're supposed to be living their life. So um, I'm I'm always somewhere talking about how you can live like your dream life. Welcome. Welcome thank you. and thank you for joining me. It's an honor to have you here. So before we dive into it, let's do like a logistics check. Like, where are you from? Are you a window seat? Are you an aisle seat girl? Have you traveled since you were a child? What is your relationship to travel? And where are you actually uh, centered? Where are you, I don't say located. I feel like, what's your headquarters, I guess? Because I feel like- I, you know, I, I like headquarters because I do struggle when I am out and about and people ask like, oh, where are you from? Because mm-hmm. what they really want to know is where do you live? And where I live is not where I'm from. Uh, I'm originally- from Houston, Texas, but I call Mexico City home. I have for four out of the last six years. Um, I, I have, have, how long have I been traveling? Um, I did travel as a kid. Uh, you know, some families are road trip families. We were not. Uh, my my mother's people are from New, New Orleans, and so we would fly. So flying has always been my jam. Um, and I am absolutely a window seat. Um, Same. Yeah. It's just superior. <laughs> I don't know if it's... Um... I get tall people, long people, you know, you don't want to feel like, but I'm not tall. I'm not long. It's not my, not my burden to the world. I prefer the window because I want to lean on something. And I also just only want one person like next to me. I don't need people on the both sides because people passing by the aisle when that drink cart comes down. Don't, oh my don't, gosh. don't hit oh my, my gosh. Elbow. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want those. So I sit my ass on the window. Once I, I pop my leg up, I put my lean, my lean on, it's, it's comfortable. It works for me. I don't like dealing with having to let people out to use the bathroom. Okay. Okay. I really don't. I don't want to mm-hmm. deal with that at all. So I'm like, give me my window seat, leave me in my corner and let me be. Yeah. And I also, um, guilty is the person that has to get up to go pee. Hi, my bladder's as small as I am. Hi, so sorry. <laughs> but I'm just like, at least, you know, I'm not like, I'm gentle. 
I'm gentle. I'll at least give the people that. So what was your impetus for leaving the States? We all have a million reasons, but what was your personal deciding factor and um, what exactly was, because it's kind of like a loaded question, but at the same time, it can be a very simple answer and it can be a very complicated answer. So not only was like your, okay, this is it, fuck this, I'm out, but then what was it that made you actively take action? Because you can always have, because I feel like those are two different things, right? There's oh, the, yeah. I'm tired of this. I'm, I can't do this. But then there's the, let me pull this website up or let me actually start this application for X, Y, and Z. Are those two things the same? What, what does that look like for you? I think they are different. Uh, I am somebody who always dreamed about living outside the U.S. However, that did not happen for me until I was 41 years old. Um, so, yes, two very separate things. And um, really, I, I blew my life up right before I turned 40. I ended a 20-year marriage because life is short. Life is too short to be to be living in such a way that you are unhappy. So I decided I wanted to be happy. And for me, travel was a big part of that. Um, and doing the things I wanted to do. So I set out to, to do all those things I had always wanted to do. And one of them was moving abroad. There's that piece of it. And then the other piece is there is always been a values mismatch between myself and the United States, hmm. you know, and it became harder and harder to reconcile the two. You know, I always tell people when they ask me this, there are certain things that I believe that fundamentally are like anti-American. For instance, I believe that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Right. Um, I, I don't think getting medical care should put me in danger of financial, you know, ruin. Um, mm -hmm. There's some other things there too, but there were like, there was this whole list of things that I believe in. And I think that's how society should work that just are not the way the U S works given our, our embracing of like American individualism and uh, American like superiority and things like that. So for me, I was like, if I'm going to live like my best life, the place I can be my whole full happy self, that's not the United States. So what I was, was like, okay, for you. Um, so far it's looking like Mexico. Um, and I know when I tell people I live in Mexico City, when I tell people I live in Mexico, you know, it's always, well, what about the cartels? Aren't you worried about getting kidnapped and all of that? So I am not somebody who is oblivious to the issues of living in this country. There are some things that Mexico really needs to do some work on. Um, mm -hmm. However, being a Black American woman, my experience living here compared to my experience living in the United States are night and day. I mm -hmm. do not worry about my safety in the same way. Uh, my interaction with the police, in mm -hmm. 180 difference. Mm -hmm. um, so 
there are those things that I'm like, my life is just so much better here, but I am not oblivious to the fact that every country is going to have issues. And this one right. has its own specific set of them. So I have two questions based on what you just said. What was, so let me just ask the two questions so I can get them off my chest and then we'll circle back because I wrote them down. So where, where did you live first? And in terms of, cause I'm, I know you said you lived in Mexico for four years of the last six. So where was the first place that you went to when you decided to leave the country and how did you choose that place? Cause you had mentioned that it, you know, you wanted to leave because of the misalignment of guys, right? Reasonable, great reason to leave, right? But what was the first place you tried? And like, why did you try that place? Like, why did you choose wherever you chose first? And then like, what happened? Because that was like two years and we're in Mexico. Well, that was actually a year before because I left in 2016 and have been gone ever since. Um, Actually, the first location chose me, and it is a place that hardly anybody moves to on purpose. Most of their migration is out-migration. I got a job in Honduras, in Tegucigalpa, Um, and it's really, I was like, okay, I'm going to move. And I was also at a point where I was looking to make a career change. However, it occurred to me that the easiest way for me to go was to get a job in my existing career. Uh, I had been teaching or in K-12 education for 19 years at that point. So I was going to ask, what did you teach? Uh, Mostly geography, history, uh, a little bit of technology in there. So you had Um, like the middle kids, like middle, uh, what do you call that? Middle school? No, 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 no. Seven, 12? High school, high school. I spent Ooh, two years in junior high. You are high. a warrior. I spent two years in junior high, and that was not a good experience for anybody involved. Not for me, not for the kids. My my sweet spot is about ninth grade in high school. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, ideally, junior year. That's when the kids figure out why they're there. However, I did not want to teach U.S. history, which is primarily taught ninth grade in Texas. So because I've always been Mm -hmm. a map girl, geography girl, uh, I ended up in ninth grade. Over my head. I love (laughs) history. Not history that involves directions. That's where you lose me. (laughs) Yeah. So I, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to see where I can get a teaching job. And really the world's was open to me. A lot of folks Mm -hmm. were like, I'm going to go where the money is. That would be in Asia, China, and the Middle East at this time. Um, But I kept coming back to the fact that I wanted to learn Spanish, which is funny because in school I took French. I absolutely never wanted to learn Spanish. I didn't like the way it sounded when it was spoken. But I found myself wanting to speak, wanted to learn Spanish. So I was like, okay, that means Latin America. Uh, Went to a job fair the very first school I talked to was a school in Honduras, never considered them at all. And the position, it was as if somebody had read my resume and created a position specifically for my skill set. So, you know, I say all the time, the universe tends to unfold as it should. So uh, I got the job there and I knew Honduras was not my stopping point, but it was going to get me out the door. And um, 
the my time there was great but again that's another country with a set of struggles and those particular struggles were not ones that i was willing to um kind of deal with long term and so uh, my employer myself parted ways and then i i guess we could say i took a grown-up gap year but basically there was some restructuring at the school i was at very teeny tiny school and their new structure would require me basically to be the entire social studies department and do the job they hired me to do for no extra money mm-hmm. and i said um no thanks and decided uh, English and Spanish (laughs) (laughs) and decided that I would not look for a job for the next year. And I was like, I'll take the year off and we'll, we'll see how this goes. And that's when I initially moved to Mexico city, fell in love, Mm -hmm. did not want to leave. So did you move there for your gap year or did you stay in Honduras for your gap year? No, I moved to Mexico city for my gap year. Uh, Believe it or not, Honduras is expensive. Uh, People think Central America uh, is going to be a cheap place to live. It's very much like living on an island. Not a lot Mm -hmm. is made there. Everything's imported. The cost of living is higher. So Mexico was a a, a more affordable option. It had more of the things that I knew I wanted in a place, you know, walkable neighborhoods, mass transit, a large international airport, because that impacts the cost of your flights, things like that. Yeah. And I was here for a year. And then my youngest was getting ready to apply for college. And I was like, hmm, probably should go back to work so I can pay for college. And ended up moving to Asia. So the when I say I live in Mexico, the four out of the last okay. six years, I spent two years in Asia and then came back in July of 2020. And it's been home since. Yeah. Do you feel like you live like a local yet? Or do you feel like you still have some kind of tourist aspects, if you will, to your lifestyle? I wouldn't, I would not say that I live like a local. Because I think in order to do that, I would spend most of my day speaking Spanish. And I don't do that for a number of reasons. One of them is that I am introverted AF and (laughs) talking to people in Spanish gives me anxiety. I get what I need to have done done, but I'm not going to chit chat with you in Spanish. But I would also say I don't live like a tourist. Um, I Both times that I have lived here, I specifically chose neighborhoods that did not have a lot of foreigners in them because I want when I go to the restaurant or I go to the pharmacy, I want that transaction to happen in Spanish. I don't want to live in a neighborhood that has like English menus. Um, So in that way, I don't live like a tourist, but I, I would not I would not say that I live like a local, but. Okay. I would say more so down. than a, a lot of foreigners who come here. So <laughs> I had an internal chuckle when you said you wanted everything done in Spanish, but don't speak Spanish. It's- How do you resolve that? Like, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> what? Oh, oh. Why do- that sounds like you're setting yourself up for so much stress. Absolutely. Um, 
it took me a while to figure this out that because uh, I, I when I was taking Spanish classes, this is one of the things I asked my teacher about. I, I figured out that introverts and extroverts learn language differently. Um, and when I explained this theory to her, she was like, absolutely. Extroverts. These are the people who just speak with enthusiasm. They don't care if they're conjugating it right. They don't care if they're getting the right gender. They just go for it. And then there are people like me who I got to say it the right way. I need to understand why we're using this form of the verb in this situation and, and not. And so there's all of that going on in my head when I try to speak Spanish. But then you add to the fact that I am introverted and I don't want to talk to people I don't know. So if it's not like a transaction, I'm keeping mm -hmm. my mouth shut. And when you talk to anybody about how do you successfully learn a language, how do you become fluent, you got to use the language. That's so, what they say, it's immersion. I have signed up, like I took a screen printing class in Spanish because I was like, oh, I'll, I'll learn, I'll hear new words, which I did pick up some new vocabulary, and I'll have to communicate in Spanish. And then I realized how 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 hard I will work to sabotage myself. So the teacher comes over and asks me in Spanish, how are things going? And I can communicate in nonverbal ways like you mm -hmm. would not believe. I can find all kinds of ways not to speak Spanish. Um, same thing. I took I took salsa classes in Spanish in a very this was a very local neighborhood. No foreigners. I was the foreigner in the class. Um, improve my comprehension, but I could never, when they would ask me something, I could never reply fast enough. So I understand been, what they're saying. Yes, but I couldn't, okay. I couldn't form a response. So I tried mm -hmm. one trick I tried was to put myself in situations where I had no choice, but to speak Spanish. And then I work against myself. Uh, my newest adventure in that department is I have applied and was uh, accepted to an artist residency in the state of Oaxaca. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I sew most of my clothes and I wanted so to cool. learn um, like traditional dyeing techniques. And so I applied to this program. I was accepted. The artisan that I'm going to be working you with. You applied in Spanish? Speak. No. Okay. I, was about to be like, I did not apply in Spanish. So I could have. <laughs> I could I could have filled out a form in Spanish. I can text for the most part. It's just, it's phone calls. They mm. get me every time. Um, and so I applied. I was accepted. The artisan I will be working with does not speak Spanish. Actually, Spanish is probably not their first language because it's very indigenous in that part of the country. However, okay. The program will basically be in Spanish. So I have in my head that for three weeks, I'm going to be surrounded by folks who do not speak English. And in that situation, I do tend to find the right words. So we'll see. But yeah, this is this is my ongoing struggle because there's but probably all of the words in here. I just yeah, don't use because you understand it. And that's where I feel like. um I don't, I think you are selling yourself short by saying that you don't speak Spanish. It goes right back to the point that you're, you don't want to talk to these people. So it's like, you probably speak perfectly fine. I don't want to say perfectly fine or like 
fluent, but like you probably speak way more conversational Spanish than you give yourself credit for. It's just that you don't want to talk. So it's like, well, pretty much. Pero no, no yeah. entiendo. <laughs> Yo no sé. Pretty much. But any, the big thing is understanding. Any conversation somebody starts with me immediately, for me, it's fight or flight. It is, mm. what can I say to make them stop talking to me immediately? But I'm that way in English too. So it's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a big shock. It just, Consistency. it's a struggle if my goal is to learn to speak Spanish. Okay. So <laughs> I can, I can fucking appreciate that because honestly, I was so worried about you. I'm like, oh my God, how is she going to do all these things if she doesn't speak Spanish? No, you understand Spanish. And I feel like there needs to be another way to have that conversation with people. Well, I mean, I don't want to say another way, but something more readily available, like a, a, a manner to uh, discuss it without saying, do you speak or not? Well, cause there's also understanding. Do you comprehend what it is someone is saying to you? And to your point, it's like, I can much better understand what someone is saying to me. And it's really context clues. And so at that point, once I get through some context clues, I can kind of point to things like, you mean this? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know how to say it, but I don't mind like, we could do the charades just as long as it ain't picture. Oh, yeah. Body, body language. People underestimate that. I lived in China for a year and a half and I spoke four words of Mandarin. Like you, you can get by. Um, I have significantly more Spanish. I furnished an apartment. I handled my own uh, immigration process. So like I get it done. It's not pretty, but I get it done. Mm-hmm. So you hit the magic word. Um, two words, immigration and process. So before we get to the immigration part, what was your process for actually divesting from the States? Like, how did you kind of prepare yourself and maybe the people around you for, Hey, so I love you, but I can love you from Honduras or I can love you from Mexico. What was that like for you? Um, the biggest concern was my youngest daughter who was a freshman in high school when I made the decision to leave. Cause initially after I got divorced, I was like, okay, let me get her out of high school. Then I will go. Mm-hmm. And a friend was like, do you really have to do that? Do you really have to wait? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, technically I don't. And I know that there are a lot of parents out there who are like, oh no, I, I wouldn't leave. But, um, you know, sometimes we got to choose ourselves. And so with my youngest, I explained, this is what I want to do. And I said, if I'd like you to come with me, uh, if there is a particular country that you would like to live in, I will look for a job in that country. And she was like, no, I'm not interested. Go do you. And okay, I did. Ended up getting the job in Honduras. And then she was like, hey, is that offer still available? Because I, I sold it to her. I was like, look, you don't have to stay there forever because she was highly involved in like FFA, Future Farmers of America, and was doing her own thing. Um, I'm a city girl. I have never heard. Girl, I'm a city girl. I don't know how she, how, how she, that's where she ended up, but she did. And so I was like, we could do it like a study abroad. You can oh. come stay with me for a year. You can, she hadn't taken her foreign language at that time. I was like, you could get your Spanish credit, 
Like it was an American curriculum school. And so that was probably the biggest one. Uh, most of my friends, when I said this, what I was doing, they were like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. I have very little family. I'm from a very small family and there aren't very many of them still around. So there wasn't this concern of like, oh, I have these obligations yeah. to these people. What have you really? Aging, it, taking yeah, it was about my, person. my children. And outside of that, not so much. And then like the process piece of it, um, well, because I, one of the things I do now is help people move abroad. It really depends. Because if you're moving abroad for a job, your job should handle a lot of yeah. that piece. But like getting, like closing down my life, uh, that was mostly about getting rid of the last stuff I had. Uh, with my divorce, I am a minimalist and I was married to somebody who was probably a low grade hoarder. So. For me, I had already purged a lot of stuff and was yeah. already living, like finally getting to live my minimalist dream. So there wasn't this whole thing of like, oh, how am I going to let go of this sentimental thing, this sentimental thing? It was really about, okay, what can I sell? What can I donate? What can I give? And um, one of the things that I did was I... One thing I am is very like practical. And the reality is when we die, the people we leave behind got to go through our shit. It is sure never is. going to mean as much to them as it does to you. So like I had all of these pictures of my child from my childhood, but I was like, okay, I die. My kids go through these outside of me in these pictures my children aren't going to know who any of these people are. So why am I holding on to that? Like my, I had all of my high school yearbooks. So I went through and I gave things to people that's like, well, if I was dying, I would want you to have this anyway. So why yeah. not give it to you now? So I did that piece. Um, and then everything else sort of fell into place. My lease was coming up, my car, I had just paid off my car. So like closing down my life was fairly simple, I feel. Yeah. What about your adult? You have adult children? Yes. How did they wow. feel? Because I know like the emotional part of like, one thing I'm seeing as um, an adult child now, hey mom, is that um, you're always somebody's kid changes as you both get older and God willing, everybody matures and you kind of come into, all right, I see why this may have happened this way. Or, you know, you have your own come to Jesus with your parents, but what was it like for, for, I can't ask like for them, cause they're not here to answer, but in, for your reception of how they were, what was it like for even your adult kids? Cause I can't imagine my mama just up and leaving me now. Like, girl, who going to watch my kids if I have Well, them? and I don't know if it's because by the time I, by the time I'd left, I think I'd been divorced a year, a year or two. I don't know if, because that had already happened because she was out doing her own thing. It was very much, okay, well, she was more concerned with things like, okay, well, how will I be able to call you? 
And I was like, I got a Google voice number. Like that's not going to change. She was sort of nonplussed by it. Uh, I now have three grandchildren and for them, Didi just lives in Mexico. Like Mm -hmm. I come and I hang out. The the oldest came and visited me this summer. And uh, it's just kind of like, this is what it looks like. It looks different, but I'm, because of the way I live my life now, like when one of the kids got COVID and she needed help, I was like, I can come fly back. Like that's the other yeah. benefit of being in Mexico. It's a two hour flight to Houston. Also, right. You were right in Texas anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're literally right there. That is so, right there. And I think another, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so there wasn't this whole like, I, at least to me, it didn't seem like she felt like I was abandoning her. I was just mm-hmm. a few hours away. Yeah. I think that proximity makes like a huge difference. But one thing that I think um, some people may not necessarily immediately think of is that there is no better way to be an example other than by action. And you can talk to your kids and prophesize and just pour into them all the ways that they are strong and they are capable, that they can do things, that they should experience life to the fullest and take risks. And what does that look like if you've never left or if you've never done anything big for your kids to say, hmm, she was talking all that hot shit and then she was about that. She stood 10 toes down. You know what I mean? She's still on business. And, And that's what I wanted uh, I wanted that when I was gone, that they could look back and be able to say, well, she did it. Like mm-hmm. she, she thought this was important. She wanted to do this thing. She did it. She didn't just talk about it. She actually did it. Yeah. That I, I can't think of. Uh, and then also everybody's different. And I think some people just assume that everybody like has, needy kids. I you one thing that I have always think I like intrinsically known, but then like you get the you you get the words, you get the language for it. You can't parent the kids that you want. You have to parent the kids in front of you. Like you have to parent the kids that you have. Oh, and absolutely. you could feel like oh, my god, how could she leave her kids? But if she's got kids that, you know, are explorers or that are into like I I just feel as if I want more perspectives and more um, representations of different families and different familial structures, because I feel as if there are so many, I don't want to just say binary because it's not binary, but there's so much more to ways that people live. Well, and that's the other piece of it. It is particularly for black women this is what mm-hmm. you are supposed to do. This is what a mother yeah. is supposed to do. So there probably were, because I don't really care what people think, but I'm sure there were some people that had something to say. Um, mm-hmm. Like when my youngest decided she wanted to go back to Texas, I moved to Mexico. And it's like, well, you're not there. She has another parent. Like mm-hmm. all of these rules about mm-hmm. what a woman is supposed to do, what you're supposed to do because you're a mom. That's, that's one of my biggest beefs is basically in our culture, mother is supposed to be a martyr. Mm -hmm. 
she's supposed yeah. to sacrifice everything for everybody. And um, I reject that wholeheartedly. So uh, me living my life in this way, I definitely wanted my daughters to see like there are other ways you can be a woman and no one way is the right way. Mm-hmm. And you can do it happily and functionally. And yes. I, I, I applaud you for taking that stand because, and I'm, I absolutely wanted to ask that because I didn't want that to be a lingering question anyone had. And then they weren't able to hear what you were going to say further. They got just stuck on that. And it's just like, I wanted you to give a little space for you to flesh that out a little bit more. Um, you kind of mentioned it, but in terms of uh, the divesting and you starting in Honduras, you got a job there. Now, your job will take care of a lot of the, what's the right word for it? Um, like the citizenship portion of residency. it or the immigration. Thank you. The the residency, the um, paperwork and that nature. But what about banking? Like, do you still have like an American bank account? Do they make you open or do they open a bank account for you in that native country? What do those like, do you have to, or not have to, or did you renounce your American citizenship? Are you a citizen of Mexico at this point? Like what did those points of it? And then also it's like, you have a life of financial history in the United States what does that look like going to Mexico? Because I feel like that's something that I haven't done any research into. I haven't heard, but it's just, so I've got a credit history here. Do they use credit in Mexico? What are the, because it's easy to just say, I've got $1,500, baby, and I'm going to make it work. <laughs> what does Mexico think about that? Well, um, you're right. When you have a job, they take care of the visa, whatever that situation is, so that you can legally be in the country, you can legally work there. So when that was one of the, the kind of eye-opening things, because when I came to Mexico, I was doing everything myself. I had to find the apartment. I had to, you know, figure out how can I be in the country legally, all of that. When I was in Honduras, um, because of, you know, they pay you by direct deposit, of when you live abroad, they generally pay you once a month. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that takes some getting used to. And so we had say. like, <laughs> we had a day where they took the new people to the bank and they provided somebody who spoke Spanish to do that. Fast forward to me living in Mexico, I get a Mexican bank account, which you can get by without one, but I wanted one. I had to navigate that all by myself with the I amount of Spanish I had. English. My Lord. Yes. The, it, so do, moving abroad on your own individually definitely requires um, a lot more like being able to keep your knees bent and go with the flow and problem solve because mm. what you read on the website said this. You got all your paperwork to match that. You go get in line and they're like, no. That's not what you need. And you say, but the website said, don't nobody care what the website said. This is the process we do in a day. My friend came yeah. last week. It was different. Yeah, but this is the process we're doing today. Yeah. Um, and then your question about like your financial history and all of that in the U.S. I, I run across a lot of people who are leaving the U.S. because they're like, this ain't it for me. I don't want to have anything to do with this place. 
while in theory, that sounds great. Um, it's a really bad idea to close your U.S. bank account, to let your U.S. driver's license expire, mm -hmm. to not have a U.S. number because American citizens, no matter, even if they have citizenship somewhere else, always have to file a U.S. tax return. That gets really complicated when you don't have a bank account. So like during the pandemic, when they gave out the stimulus the stipend checks oh, okay yeah, this, yeah. a Stimulus. lot of people who had gotten rid of their u.s bank accounts there was nowhere for the government to deposit that money you can't take a check a paper check from the u.s government to the bank in china and be like can y'all cash this check in u.s dollars for me no mm -hmm. so i always tell people leave that stuff open. Then there is always the chance something may happen where you have to go back and trying to rebuild all of that. That's that's the struggle you don't have to have. Yeah. Now, I have not. I am still a U.S. citizen. Um, a lot of people who move abroad like the idea of being able to renounce their U.S. citizenship like Tina Turner did. Here's what people don't realize. One, you have to pay to do that. It's not figure. free. It is a whole process and they make you pay that for That is some that. American shit if <laughs> ever. And then Man. here's the other thing. Um, when you do that, first of all, you have to be a citizen of another country. You cannot be a stateless person. Okay. So mm -hmm. you have to get citizenship somewhere else. But when you do that, when you give up your U.S. citizenship, you no longer have the right to be in the U.S. You are subject to whatever the visa requirements are for the country you have a passport in. So let's say I got Mexican citizenship, which I will be eligible for, I think, in a year, maybe six oh, cool. months. Okay. Um, my, I, I have property in the U.S. My grandkids are in the U.S. If I gave up my U.S. citizenship and had a Mexican passport, I am subject to the visa requirements that Mexicans are. It is hard as hell for a Mexican to get a visa to come to the U.S. So like and then like, let's say you you like I technically I am entitled to a Nigerian passport. OK, because okay. I'm half Nigerian. Let's say I did that. OK. And I give up my U.S. passport. How am I getting the U.S.? I'm, I'm, I'm subject to the way they treat people who are from this other country. So mm -hmm. although it sounds like, yes, I want to tell this country where to where to stick it and I don't ever want to deal with them again. The reality is it is very impractical for vast for the vast majority of people to give up U.S. citizenship. What I do have, I have permanent residency here in Mexico. I have the right to live here. I have the right to work here um, indefinitely. Beautiful. Every every country does not work that way, but in Mexico, uh, that is how it works. When I lived in China, when I lived in Kuwait, when I, I had uh, work visas, so my ability to be in the country was directly tied to my job. Yeah. Okay. No job, can't stay there. So that, that all varies. Um, I am not interested. Well, I take that back. I wouldn't mind an EU passport. 
Okay. I wouldn't mind it. The world lets uh, other people kind of go just as freely as Yeah. Can, you know, like, I wouldn't mind it. But ideally, at some point, I would probably like to get residency in at least one other country. Uh, because I had gotten... I had a... <laughs> I had a visa, a work visa, actually, when I lived here before, and then I moved to Asia. It expired. But one of the years I was living in Asia, I was like, I know eventually I'll end up back in Mexico. So I came back and I did my own independent uh, immigration process, got my residency visa, and then a global pandemic happened. And countries started closing their borders. And all of a sudden, people were like, well, you can't come here if you don't live here. But I have Mexican residency. So when I was leaving China, I was like, I know I don't want to go to the U.S., but I know Mexico got to take me. I mean, turns out Mexico never closed their borders. But if they had, I still would have been okay. And so that's why I always encourage people, if there's a place you want to be, go ahead and get residency. Because that way, particularly for black folks, because white folks can get away with a whole lot of stuff we can't. You know, when 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 folks start looking around for people to put out their country, people who are there illegally, Mm -hmm. they're going to pick us first. So I would much rather have my paperwork completely in order. Yeah. And can you have residents? You were mentioning that you would look for residency in another country. So you can have multiple countries where you have uh, permanent residency. Yep. It's all about what the country's rules are. So like I have friends who have permanent residency in Mexico and they have temporary residency in Portugal. Portugal requires you to be in the country for a specific number of months. Mexico does not. So them being in Portugal, maintaining their Portuguese residency does not impact their Mexican residency at all. And now that's different than citizenship because some countries will support uh, dual citizenship, triple citizenship, whatever. And then some countries are like, no, you can be a citizen of here and only here. But residency, generally speaking, as long as you can meet whatever requirements they have about like how much time you got to spend in the country, mm-hmm. you can have as many as you want. That's pretty fucking interesting. How long does it take you to get to residency status? It depends on the country. Uh, Mexico is, in comparison, easy. Basically, they want to know if you don't have a job now, if you're trying to if you're trying to work here, people often get surprised by this. Just like in the United States, we don't want to give jobs to foreigners. Every other country is like that, too. So in order for like when I had a work visa here, the company I worked for had to have permission to hire foreigners. They had to go to immigration and argue that by hiring me, there was not a Mexican with the same qualifications that could do the job. And so, because they want to save jobs for the local people. So this is why people often struggle to get like work visas in Europe, because if you, if you're not from another European country, it's very hard to break in unless you do something really, really special. Um, So that's probably the hardest way to go. Uh, The visa I have, basically, I needed to prove I had a certain amount of money. I proved that. They were like, okay, here's your visa. Okay. Because I I heard about certain uh, even like the digital nomad visas that they were doing in a couple of different countries. 
while they were trying to kind of get people back in seats on in the air, it was, oh, you could work here. You could work there. This, that, yeah. and the third. But then it was just like, oh, there are thresholds. Okay. Yes. And I remember I did an episode someplace. I don't remember where it was. I think it was someplace... I want to say it was someplace European and they were trying to do the same thing for tourism though. Like even for tourists, we kind of want to, damn, I got to look, I got to figure out a way if I could look up what episode that was. It was so interesting. And I think I actually know which one it was, but they were trying to put caps on the, like caps, not by numbers, but just by how much your personal numbers are like, what is your income? What do you make? And yes or no, you can now come here now. I don't know if that article have fully fleshed out all the details. So I don't want to talk hot shit on somebody's country if I don't have all the information. But it was um, obviously a white ass country. But well, I'm going to talk hot shit on the United States. Uh, a, f- a friend, somebody I work with in El Salvador. Well, no, it's not the United States. But it's the United States and Mexico. They're both guilty mm-hmm. of this. We were looking at how he could get a tourist visa not he's just trying to visit and the financial paperwork that people from countries with less powerful passports they have to like provide proof that they've got not only the money to afford to be there but that they have substantial economic ties to their country so that they're not going to overstay that they're going to be able to prove they're going to go back Mm -hmm. and so they're there are, I, I think this is one of the things a lot of Americans, U.S. Americans miss is the privilege of having a U.S. passport. That there are, Absolutely. what is it, 85, 185 countries that we can go to visa free, that we just show up with that little blue passport and we can get in. And there are so many people who are like, no, just to go on vacation. I have mm-hmm. to submit this entire dossier of my financial life to prove your to these people life. that I just want to be there parents. for a little bit. Yep. I remember um, I went to, well, I had a layover in China and I was in Shanghai. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Shanghai. And I had booked a tour and I was talking with the tour guide and she had put me onto that. She was saying that her visa process to come to the United States was like wild pages, like 20 something pages, 40 something pages. I don't know. And she was telling me all the things that they're asking. Who do you live with? What do you do? Especially considering she didn't necessarily have a traditional job either. She was self-employed. She was a tattoo artist and she does tours. So it's like they wanted to be all the way in her business. And it had never occurred to me, first of all, in fairness to me, I didn't leave the country until I was 30. So what what the fuck I need to know about a visa? I had no point of reference. There was no scope of information for me. But it is one of those things where unless somebody tells you, you don't fucking know. These people go through so much, just to your point, just to go on fucking vacation. Just to go on yeah. vacation. And so when I see all of the, um, the tour buses of Chinese people, um, Chinese people are everywhere. When I tell you, like, <laughs> all the places, I don't know why I was so surprised, but um, I was caught off guard with that one. But when you see all of them, it's just, I wonder if there are tourism agencies that also do that paperwork for them, the visa agents, because I can't see being that committed 
if it was, if my process looked like that, I don't think I'd be as traveled as I am. I don't think that I would be able to do, but I don't like paperwork as it is. Give me one sheet. I want to fill it out. I'll rethink it. I'll pay full price if that's even it. But having to go through all of that to, I wouldn't, I don't think that there are, and that's making me kind of want to look into the travel influencer or like the travel, um, I don't say influencer in terms of like just people that travel and talk about the shit that are from other countries. Like now I'm clear. What is your life? How are you able to move so freely? What is like, what is your passport privilege or what is it that your financial access allows you to see that citizens of the country you're from can't all take advantage of? That's a, you'll notice with um, influencers that are not from the U S they're not from Europe you'll notice, or at least I've noticed a lot of them, the countries that they go to, like they might have a lot of Caribbean content because that's probably the places that they can get in and out of uh, most easily. Um, That's probably, I just found a a young lady. She's from, I want to say Ghana is an African country. And I'm sitting here marveling at like, Look at all the places you've been, because I know the amount of work it took her to get visas to all those places. That's why I have not been to Vietnam, because Mm. Americans, U.S. Americans need a visa, and I don't like paperwork. That's why I said Mexico's uh, residency process is fairly straightforward, fairly simple when you compare it to other places. And so I, too, do not like paperwork. So give me the the path of least resistance. Absolutely. Every time, twice even. Uh, Do you get a passport when you're a resident? No, I have a, I have a, well, we used to call them green cards. They're not green anymore, but basically the equivalent of a green card. When I leave and enter the country, I need to show that to, so that they can keep track of when I'm here and when I'm not. It doesn't matter when I'm here, but um, I can't, if I enter as a tourist, I lose my residency status. And so, uh, (laughs) yeah, I lost. How do you enter as a tourist? How does that okay. work? Like if you physically lose if, the card? If you don't have the card to prove, like now that the system is is more uh, electronic, in mm-hmm. theory, they can look it up. But um, when I come back in, I have to show my residency card. And in Mexico, they stamp your passport. They either stamp it as a tourist and then they put how many days you can stay. Right. Or they stamp it that you've got residency. And so... Because a lot of people get six months when they come and because I'm an obvious foreigner, if I don't say something when I go through immigration, they might Mm. just assume, oh, she's an American here on vacation six months. If they do that, Mexico has made it very clear. You lose residency. You have to start the entire process all over. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very conscientious about making sure that I enter the country the proper way. Um, just, I just, I've seen so many posts. Somebody just said like their kid came home to visit from college and they didn't show their card. They just told the person I'm a resident and I don't know 
if this conversation happened in Spanish or English, the according to the mom, the agent was like, yeah, we know. And then promptly wrote tourist 180 days in their passport. And she's like, well, what do I do? And we're all like, girl, he lost his residency. Like, damn. Yeah. So um, I don't now if I had citizenship somewhere, I would have a passport and something else to think about with that. If let's say I were to get Mexican citizenship, I probably won't because unlike other countries, Mexico is a place that when you become a naturalized citizen, there are rules about how much time you have to be in the country. Okay. Usually it's the other way around. Once you become a citizen, they don't care when you come and go. Mm-hmm. But if I were to do that, you know, this idea we have about like, oh, you run into trouble, you call the U.S. Embassy. Well, once I'm a Mexican citizen, the U.S. Embassy is like, no, girl, you're a Mexican citizen. We don't know talk, you. Talk to them people. Like, yeah. there are no protections for me in that way. Um, when you have, because you have to enter, I would have to enter Mexico with my Mexican passport. I would enter the U.S. with my U.S. passport. So that's something else to consider that when you become a citizen of a place, like you are subject to their laws. If they have a mandatory military service thing, you are subject to that because you are now a citizen. They might want to pay attention to that. I. Mm-hmm. I ain't fighting. So when you mentioned that you are a minimalist, that I assumed to be the tangibles of the things, like your personal uh, personal belongings, your items. What did that financially look like for you? I know that, you know, the money aspect of it. Did you have a certain amount saved? Did you, like, how do you suggest people financially prepare themselves for a move? Because there's also when people say, oh yeah, when you travel, you might want to exchange currency or you maybe you don't have a card with no uh, foreign transaction fees. Like, can you use your same credit cards? Did you have investments? Do you leave your investments in the state? Is there a way that you can roll over investments to another country? Because I mean, if you have the wherewithal to invest in the States, I'm assuming that you might be tickled and want to invest in a different country. Like what do the financial ends of it look like? Um, We'll start with the investment piece. That's something people need to be careful about because there are certain types of investments that if you do them in other countries, like PFIC, which I cannot remember what the letters stand for, P-F-I-C. But if you go to the IRS website and you search that, you will find out that it's basically passive foreign, and then I forget what the I and the C are. But if I were to invest in foreign-based mutual funds, the, okay. the, the IRS punitively taxes those investments. Wow. So... That would not be a good move for me. If I wanted to invest in another country, I might need to think about what type of investment. Maybe it is real estate. Maybe it is like I want to buy individual stocks or something like that. But there are some rules there to be aware of. I All of my investment accounts are still in the U.S. for the way, because I, I am trying to be a minimalist in all things, including financial things. It's simpler for me that way versus because I don't want to deal with complicated taxes. So if I had investments, let's think about all the countries I've worked in, uh, Honduras, China, Kuwait, Mexico. 
there is one, what does that do for me at tax time? What's my paperwork? Who am I obligated to file taxes with, report, all of that? There's that piece. The other piece is I'm almost 50. I am not going to live forever. What kind of mess am I leaving behind for my children? I know who my kids are. They are not Mm the kind of people who are like, oh, mama owned this property in this other country. Let me go see about it. No, they would probably just let it get turned over to the state or whatever. So I have structured my finances in such a way that when I do die, it will be as easy as possible for my children to deal with. If I was a younger person, or if my children were more internationally inclined, I might approach things differently. Um, But that's there's that piece of it there's also the piece of there are people who like they they spend a big chunk of their working life abroad and so they have like retirement funds in that country and then they're ready to leave and they're like okay so how do i move this back to my other country it can be done it just seems like a lot of work and complication and i don't i don't, I don't want to deal with that um As far as like accessing your money, this is one of the things you have to think about. I I learned this the hard way. Um, Being in Honduras, it wasn't that big of a deal until I was trying to get my money out of the country. Same thing in China, because like checks are not a thing in a lot of other places. Um, You could do wire transfers, but those can be expensive. Yeah. Uh, then you've got a country like China that it is illegal to have RMB outside of China. They have very strict controls. Like you can't, there are some people who, and I don't recommend this, who exchange currency at their local bank in the U.S. because they want to have the cash in hand. You can't do that in China. You can only get RMB when you are in China. So I'm getting paid. How do I get my money to my American bank account? I could go spend three to five hours at the bank in in person to do a wire transfer, or I need to figure out some other situation. Um, luckily, somebody I worked with in Honduras hooked me up with a way to get a cashier's check in USD and then use my American bank's phone app to deposit the check. Okay. That works for me. That worked for me in Honduras. That worked for me in Kuwait, in China. In your American bank and then just transfer the funds to like your foreign bank. No. So like I would get paid when I worked in Honduras, I get paid in local currency and in USD. And what I did was I lived in Honduras on the local currency. My USD, it was like, okay, I need to get this out. I can either carry a ton of cash with me. No. I see what you're saying. No, you just did the banking app. Yeah. Yes. So I went to the, I had to go to the bank in person. I had to go to the international desk, have pay to get a cashier's check in USD. And then I deposited that on the phone. Could not do that in China. China was so much more complicated. Yeah, honestly, I'd just (laughs) now. Okay, so reasonably, you're going to have a lot more money to transfer than tourist me is going to have. Yes, this is 
salary. This is this is your paycheck. This isn't like I took five hundred dollars out and I've got yeah. like two hundred and twenty dollars left. They're not going to notice this much cash in my pocket. Probably won't. Yeah. But like, so you feel comfortable walking around with like twelve thousand dollars? Like, or do you want to maybe like not be a target or yeah. lose it or God forbid like anything could fucking happen? And then what do you do with it when you get to the states? Like, you can't do nothing with it. No, I, I had that happen to me when I left Honduras. I had I emptied out my bank account. And so I had something like 50,000 Honduran Limpira. Okay. I go to the currency exchange in the United States and they looked at me like, girl, we ain't taking that. Like, they were like, because there are certain currencies we're not taking that are your kind drug of, money here. Th- that's that mad were, money. <laughs> that were weak because the plan was they didn't. At the airport in Tegucigalpa, they did not have a currency exchange. They were like, there's the money man. He stands over by the rental cars. And I was like, excuse me? They were like, yeah, the money man. You'll see him. He he has on like this cargo vest. And so it happened that- You know, Greg, the guy (laughs) out there. Wow. Okay. It happened that my flight was very early in the morning and the money man was not there. So I had- this big stack of Honduran Limpira that I just shoved in my bag. And then I get to the United States with it. And I thought, Dang. last ditch effort, let me go. There's like this international money exchange thing. I go there and they're like, oh no, we do not take that currency. Cause like I've, I've run into that with a uh, Ghanaian SETI. I'll, if you're not in Ghana, nobody's going to take that. It just so happened. I had a friend who was building a house in Honduras. So I was like, here, why don't y'all give me dollars for this money? And then you don't have to go to the ATM when you go. But otherwise or I would have been stuck. Greg or the man to man. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be stuck with this money that I could not exchange. So um, like in China, I was very concerned about getting my money out because mm-hmm. it is a communist country. At any yeah. point, the government could be like, we season everybody. Change accounts. your minds. <laughs> so like being able to move money uh back and forth is something you need to think about for example yeah uh a lot of central america and latin american countries people live in the u.s and they send money back they remit money to the people back home so it's very easy to send money to mexico uh uh, PayPal will do it, uh, Western yeah. Union, all of them. But when you make money here and you want to send it to the U.S., there's virtually nobody that does that. That's crazy. So that's that's something you have to you have to think about is what's my money flow? Like, which accounts am I using? How am I moving? Am I going to need to move money mm-hmm. both directions, only one direction? That's something to think about. I tell you, I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have thought. I'd have been stuck looking for the money man with all this cash. Before I let you go, what do you do in these places? Like, what is it that like you live abroad? And we've had this fantastic conversation about it. But what do you do abroad? Do like, well, do you just sit and be fine? Like, I do. I I do as little as possible. Um, (laughs) I when I went back to China. In 2019, because I had a year left on my contract, soon as I landed, I was reminded of all the things that I don't like about China. And I was like, okay, this is it. This job is getting in my way. Um, 
I, I need to do something else. So I officially like retired from teaching in June of 2020. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I don't know what I want to do. I'll figure out something. And that is when I focused on, I do financial education because a lot of the reason why I could decide at 45, I don't want to teach anymore is because I had built up an investment nest egg that like, I, I, having money wasn't like, oh no, I'm going to starve. Right. So I started, uh, my coaching business and I, w I work with people to help them learn, you know, financial literacy, how to manage their money, that sort of thing. And that has grown into some other things, including, um, I, I host retreats with a business partner who I met here in Mexico City. She is a life and leadership coach. Um, just wrapped up one last week in El Salvador. We, we host retreats around the world. So just wrapped up one in El Salvador, got another one coming up in February. So I, I do struggle with when people ask like, well, what do you do? Um, <laughs> I do some different things, but <laughs> everything really that, that I, everything that I do, cause I, Remember, I told you, like, I changed my life and was like, I want to live my life in such a way that one, I can center travel and two, I'm only doing work that I enjoy. And so mm -hmm. I enjoy uh, helping empower people when it comes to their finances. And I enjoy helping women in particular kind of like break up with society's expectations. And so I get to combine all of that in the work that we do at the retreat. So that's, that's, that's what I do. So I, I guess technically I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I work for myself, although that is not a title I would give myself. Honestly, but I think you can technically tell people you're an educator because you're still yeah. educating. You're yeah. still an educator between the financial education and then the coaching business. And then also in the retreats, like what, do, what kind of retreats do you guys do? Are you doing like the yoga retreats? Are you doing, um, is it a financial retreat? It, it, it's, it's, it's a new genre of retreat that we, I've been telling my partner, we need to come up with a name for it because what we do is there is a coaching element, but there is also an educational piece. Like I told you, former history and geography teacher here. So the, the participants who come get coaching from us, um, but they also get to learn about the place that we're in. And so cool. we partnered with uh, a couple of our, a couple of our partners really focus on like regenerative tourism, where that mm -hmm. we are learning about the place from the people who live there. We are doing it in such a way that it is not extractive. Like we mm -hmm. are the, the companies we work with provide they pay above fair wages um, yeah. So, so for instance, our retreat in El Salvador, not only do you get a coaching session with us every day about like how to live your dream life, getting a, a, a an action plan in order to do that, you also get to experience the country and you get to learn about it. So like in El Salvador, one of the things that participants do is the history of surf. It is a very popular place for surfing. And then if they want, they get to learn how to surf, 
Um, we do a little bit of glamping on a volcano overlooking uh, the Gulf of Fonseca, where you can see Honduras on one side and Nicaragua on another. Um, so there is, it's, it's a cultural retreat, but it's also a coaching retreat. It's like I said, we got to come up with a name for this genre because I've never seen anything that's quite mm -hmm. like it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> I am always marveled by people who find their way in the world so intentionally. Like you have carved out this piece of life for yourself. And I, such a fucking flex, such a fucking flex, <laughs> because we all, I don't want to say we all, I can't speak for all of y'all. I don't like my full time. Like I don't like my real fucking job. Right. But I do it because I like the money. The money pays for all, all the things. And it's not that I um, don't appreciate my job because everybody's like, oh, well, you should be grateful for this and you should be grateful that you don't have this. And yes, all those things. It, it, and also, like, both things can be true. I can be grateful that I am not destitute somewhere, that I am not, you know, gravely ill. I can be grateful for all of those things and still fundamentally want to say, fuck these people every single day. I'm going to go in there and make this money. They don't pay me to be happy. They just pay me to be there. But the point is, is that it is not easy to divest from that. It is not easy no. to walk away from the comfort of what you know. So I commend you and I always admire people that are not only able to, because that's why I started with what was your reason, but then what was it that really was like, ah, oh, nah, because I've had plenty of reasons to be like, oh, fuck this job, but I haven't had the, oh no, it was this right here. And now I'm looking, now I'm pulling the papers out and I'm looking for, you know, all the applications because I got to go like yesterday. So I am truly marveled by people like you who are able to, that's a certain level of dedication. It, it is, um, you know, here's very the thing admirable. that, that became very clear to me when I turned 40 and I'd say this all the time, something magical happens when a woman turns 40. Um, you, you know, you, you start to contemplate your mortality and you start to really examine your life and ask questions like, is this it? If, if this is as good as it gets, am I happy with this? And I asked myself that question and I was not. So what we were talking about before, you can either talk about it or you can do the thing. And I decided I wanted to live a life that made me happy. I'd spent so much of my life being unhappy and being miserable. I was like, I want to do things that make me happy. And I set out on this journey of figuring out what are those things? You know, like I, I've tried some things when I stopped working a traditional job. I tried some things. Some of them I was like, I love this. And some of them I was like, no, I don't care how much money mm -hmm. you pay me. I don't want to do this. Um, and I think it looks different for everybody, but I, I hope if 
if people walk away from this with with nothing else, I hope they walk away with the idea that there is nothing special about me. Anybody can live a life that they love um, that maybe doesn't fit the box. Because I say this all the time, my life looks like to some people, I'm losing over here. Like I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I'm, I'm not doing the things, Mm -hmm. but I'm living my life. Yeah. I'm not doing those things, but I am living my life exactly the way I want. And it doesn't really matter what other people think, but it is possible to do that. I think particularly in the U S we get very caught up in how life is supposed to look and that it can only look a certain way. And I just want people to know that, no, it can, it can, you can make it up. Like, cause none of the rules are real anyway. Sure this shit, not. And they definitely <laughs> not the same for everybody. No. So if, if nothing else, the, if, if somebody looks at me and they're like, well, look at that wild shit she's doing. You can do your own wild shit. You just mm-hmm. got to figure out what it is. Brush in a public bathroom is wild, but <laughs> <laughs> we're not all built the same. Yeah. You just got to figure out what it is that you want and then figure out, okay, what I got to do to get, to make that happen. So where can the people find you? Should they decide that, you know what? I need a little bit. I, I need a little bit of assistance. I need a little coach, a little, oh, nudgy nudge. Um, if, they are interested in any kind of coaching. Like I've, I've run an investment challenge and all of that. You can find all of that stuff at my website, pickygirltravelstheworld.com. Um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you're also interested in moving abroad. I have a YouTube channel where I talk about all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, Piggy Girl Travels the World or Adelia Borashade. You can find me that way. Um, primarily youtube because i was gonna say i have an instagram but i don't i don't post on instagram i feel like like i'm supposed to um if my 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 circuitous description of our retreats have intrigued you um you our retreats are called reclaim the retreat it is a retreat for women and femmes who want to reclaim their peace their happiness their life and so if you go to reclaimtheretreat.com you can see the countries that we're going to in 2024 and uh you know look at the itineraries for each of the retreats to see if it's something that might be might be what you need and come on and fems i love an inclusive space I oh yeah, love a fucking inclusive space. I am, I'm, I'm old, but my business partner is 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 a millennial, a younger millennial. So you know, she she helps me with things like that because I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to learn. But yeah, as long as you are open to learning, the learning will fall all in. Delia, thank you so, so, so much for joining me. It was such a pleasure to have you and to talk with you this evening. I. Cannot I am claiming that someplace in the financial sphere of the world, I'm gonna have the coins to show up to one of them retreats because I too am intrigued with your hybrid approach to um, not just traveling, but to also um, 
tapping into self. I'm very big on travel is so much more than vacation. And I believe in intentional traveling. And I can't think of a better intentional way than to do the social things that I like doing. And I don't mean social by um, the idea that I want to talk to strangers, but the social aspect on I'd rather see how people live. I'd rather see what happens here versus, you know, bring me to the shopping mall. I, I, no, not the shopping girl. No, we're, we're not doing that. We are, Mm -hmm. we're getting down with the locals led by them, uh, giving back in a, in a way. And it is, it is educational, but it's also, it's like also fun and enjoyable. And then you get this community of other women who are also like trying to do things differently. And I know that that's, that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this because often when you are trying to do something different, the people in your life may not, they may not get it. And you yeah. need like some sister friends who are like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something different too. So we'd love to have you. I'd love to be there. Thank you for having me. Out all of the different areas. It's been my pleasure. Um, all the information obviously will be in the description box. So, um, click on down browse around but uh that's it for me in this uh this week's episode i hope y'all have had a fan-fucking-tastic time and hopefully i'll see you next week as well bye good people